0: Welcome to the Navigating Cancer Together podcast. My name is Talaya Dindi. I'm an 11-year cancer thriver, cancer doula, and owner of On The Other Side. I use my experience to help others get on the other side of cancer. Gaps between the guidance, emotional support, and education that are needed and what one receives can be huge. This podcast fills those gaps by sharing stories, resources and information about all things related to cancer and wellness. I interview guests from all walks of life who are living with cancer, caregivers and those who are thriving on the other side. Also, I talk with organizations, healthcare professionals and experts in the health and wellness spaces who offer complementary and integrative care. Join me, we are in this together. Disclaimer. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform. The podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. It is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professionals and is not intended for the use in the diagnosis or treatment of individual conditions. Guests who speak in a podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Neither Talaya Dendi, Navigating Cancer Together, On the Other Side, LLC, nor any of its affiliates endorses, supports, or opposes any treatment option or other matter discussed in a podcast. The mention of any product, service, organization, activity, or therapy on a podcast should not be construed as an endorsement. Hello, everyone. This is Talaya Dendi from ontheotherside.life, and you're listening to the Navigating Cancer Together podcast, the show that has something for everyone facing cancer. Why? Because everyone is different with different needs, beliefs, and perspectives. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. I encourage you to open your minds and your hearts. Today, our very special guest is Jeffrey Franks. Jeffrey Franks, MS, CPC resides in Kansas City, Missouri. She is a keynote speaker and the certified coach with a niche in grief, transition, and personal growth. Her passion is helping people bloom wherever they are, regardless of their circumstance. Jeffrey accompanies her clients as they build resilience and hope. She is also a self-published author. Her book is called Heather's Journey, A Mother's Accidental Guide Through Loss to Hope. Heather was Jeffrey's only child, and she passed away from a rare form of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in 2001. This is a very important topic. Jeffrey and I will be doing two episodes. We will have a two-part series. This is part one of two. Jeffrey, I would like to thank you so much for joining us today and welcome.
1: Talaya, thank you so much. It's my pleasure.
0: It's an honor to talk with you, Jeffrey, and once we get the conversation going, people will have a better understanding of why this topic is so important and why we've decided to do a two-part series just to make sure we get information out there for people who are facing grief and the loss of a child. Jeffrey, as I mentioned, you unfortunately lost your daughter to non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Please share with us the story of your daughter. And your daughter's name is Heather. Please share Heather's cancer journey.
1: Thank you. Yeah, my daughter Heather was 11 years old when she started having strange symptoms. And she was diagnosed with, as you said, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Specifically, it was peripheral T-cell lymphoma which is rare. And it's also an adult form of cancer. At the time, I didn't realize that it's not good for a child to have an adult form of cancer and vice versa. I learned that later. Our journey with her cancer was 11 months in total. And in the middle of that, she had a birthday. So she turned 12 and she died on March 31st, 2001.
0: Thank you for sharing that Jeffrey. I'm very sorry for your loss. It's been many years and I'm sure that it doesn't get that much easier. I'm not a parent, but I can only imagine how tough that could be to lose a child. Jeffrey, why don't we hear more of these stories about parents losing children, especially to cancer? We don't hear much about people who don't survive cancer. Why do you think that is?
1: First of all, Thank you. Thank you for the acknowledgement of Heather's death. I appreciate that. And I think that in my own experience, I was every parent's nightmare. What happened to my family was, you know, what every parent dreads, something terrible happening to their child. And that the death of a child is something that nobody really wants to think about, understandably, and no one really wants to talk about understandably. But there are those of us out here in the world who have lost children or other significant losses. The loss of a spouse, the loss of a sibling, the loss of parents can be very difficult. We're not really a society in America that wants to talk about loss and death. In some ways, I think we almost see it as a failure. I heard a quote once, and I wish I could name the person. I can't. He was in international hospice, and his quote was, America is the only country in the world that believes death is optional.
0: Thank you for sharing that, Jeffrey. And I think that's pretty accurate based on just how death is communicated These days, or lack of communication, also about death. It is a taboo topic, but it's something that we're all gonna have to face one day.
1: Yes, it's gonna affect us one way or another. You'll probably lose at least one loved one, if not more, through your lifetime. And I think it is something that we don't prepare ourselves for. We don't prepare people how to go through it. We also don't prepare others around that person how to respond to them, how to be there, how to support them when they've had a terrible loss.
0: That's very true. Jeffrey, I want to take a small step back because we will be, and we have started talking about your daughter, Heather. Do you mind just telling the audience a little bit about what Heather was like?
1: Not at all. I really like talking about Heather. (laughs) (laughs) And that's another issue when your child dies, people are afraid to ask you about them. And I see why people are afraid that they're going to hurt you by asking you about your daughter or your son or whoever you've lost. And in fact, it's really, for me anyway, it's really nice to have an opportunity to talk about her because I typically don't in my day-to-day life have those opportunities. Heather was an old soul. She just, I knew it and it worried me sometimes. She knew things that... Young kids don't typically know. she Because of being an only child, she went a lot of places with my ex-husband and I. And so she was was exposed to a lot of adult conversations. And sometimes we'd get home and I'd think, oh, I better debrief with Heather on that conversation that she heard. Make sure she understands what's going on and all that. And I would start to do that and she would finish it for me. And I would say, how did you know that? And she would say, I don't know, mom, I just know it. So there was that about her. She was also extremely funny. She was one of the funniest people that I've known. And that's one of the biggest things I miss about (laughs) Heather is joking around with her and taking a scenario and just running with it in a kind of comedic way. miss that a lot. She was also extremely curious. She wanted to know if you started talking about something, she'd want to know. And she'd say, what does this mean? What does that mean? She always wanted to be in the know on what was going on. She was very kind and compassionate. She was the center of her six girlfriends. And at times that was great, but at times it was problematic. Like, They would all want her to sit next to them at lunch, and that's to do. And I, as a child, was not popular (laughs) at all. And in fact, I was teased quite a bit because of my name. One night, I was tucking her in, and she said, Mom, were you popular in school? And I said, No, honey, (laughs) I was not. And I said, Tell me what that's like. And she started to describe the problems with it. And I said, it sounds like it might have its problems, just like not being popular has its problems. It's had, it has its own set of problems. People were drawn to her, kids, adults. Yeah. There was just something about Heather that, that kind of drew you in. She loved school. She loved sports, just a really lively, open, curious kind of child. She was a joy.
0: Thank you, Jeffrey. I appreciate you helping us to get familiar with Heather. Heather would be about, if I'm not mistaken, 32, 33, somewhere in there?
1: Actually, she would be turning 34 in September.
0: Okay. Yeah. What type of person do you
1: think Heather would be today? I think about that sometimes. (laughs) I wonder, what would she be married? Would she have children? And I hope that she would be that she would be a continuation of what she was, that she would have held on to those characteristics that I described. And I really believe that she would have found something she was passionate about in terms of her work. And I have this strong feeling it would have been in the helping arena somewhere, possibly nursing, possibly a psychologist, something like that. I have a feeling it would have landed somewhere in there. Wonderful. Yeah. Sometimes I picture, what would she look like? What would she be? My biggest question is, what would be on her mind now? Ah. Because I used to love to talk to her about what was on her mind, and we would just talk about things that were going on. And I miss being able to have that discourse with her and hearing her her take on the world and what was going on in it.
0: Thank you, Jeffrey, for sharing that. Jeffrey. Losing your only child, when did you realize that you were overcome with grief?
1: Oh, I was overcome with grief many times (laughs) during the journey. The first one would probably be at diagnosis, realizing that, oh my gosh, she has cancer and this is real. Then probably when we found out how bad it was, because there are four stages in her type of cancer and she was stage four when we found out. And she also had it in her bone marrow. So it was as bad as it could be, let's put it that way. And I remember asking if she was terminal. And the doctor said, no, I wouldn't put her through anything if she was terminal. And I said, what are the odds? And he said, about 20%. And when I talked to Heather, she asked questions about that. And out of my mouth came 30%. (laughs) For some reason, I just added 10% on as it mm-hmm. came out of my mouth. And she kind of looked away for a minute and she said, 30 percent's better than zero. And that's I said, right. yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So that was tough to find out just how serious it was. It was extremely tough when she relapsed. She went through treatment and they couldn't find it anywhere after a couple of rounds of chemo. And that's your really high point. Hey, remission. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do recall her oncologist, who I absolutely love, and it was hard to hear, but I appreciated him saying, now remember, remission means no matter where I'm looking, I can't find it, which is totally different than it is gone. Yes. Yeah. So I, I remember that distinctly. So we had a little bit of yay and partying, and then she relapsed fairly quickly, so That's always really hard because whatever you've used to get her to remission failed. Mm -hmm. And so now what are we going to do? And then getting to the point where we realized that her death was coming, that it was not going to turn around. We were not going to get a miracle. That's where, in fact, we were headed. Yeah, that was probably the hardest, of course, of all.
0: Yeah. And when you learn that news, Jeffrey, what did that conversation look like with Heather?
1: We had many conversations over that 11-month period of time. The first really significant one that I can remember is she had a tumor on her spine in her neck area. So they went in neurosurgically and removed the tumor. When the surgery was over, she woke up around four o'clock in the morning, and we had been told that it was cancer. And she said, so I have cancer, right, mom? And I said, yes. And she said, could I die? And I said, we don't know yet what type of cancer it is. And some cancers are more dangerous than others. And what I can promise you is, that dad and I are with you and we'll walk with you no matter it is, no matter where we have to go. And she said, thank you. And I think she just needed, she needed to say it. She needed to know that I knew it. And there's no way I could tell her everything's going to be okay. I had never lied to her. We had a very open relationship and I sure as heck wasn't going to start now. Yeah, I always felt that it was crucial that I be as honest as I possibly could with her through this whole thing. And I think she just appreciated that we could verbalize it and say it out loud. One time we were going home after a round of chemotherapy failed. And she started to cry in the car and I pulled the car over. And I said, tell me what's wrong. And she said, I don't want to die. And I said, I don't want you to die either. And we cried together in the car. And I said, are you afraid of how you might die? And she said, no. And I said, are you afraid of where you might go? And she said, no. She said, I'm afraid for you. Oh, yeah. And this is very typical. I found out that kids worry about their parents. They worry about their siblings. They worry about their pets. They worry about the people that are going to be left when they leave. And I wasn't prepared for her to say, I'm worried about you. And so I fumbled something about, you don't need to take all that on. I'll be okay. Blah, blah, blah. It wasn't a very complete conversation. And then there was a conversation when she decided she could have tried something really experimental. And she decided not to. And so we were driving home, and we got home and got into went into my bedroom. And she said, Mom, I'm so scared of dying. And we laid on my bed and I said, I know. And I'm scared too. I understand. And she said, what is heaven like? And I said, I've not been there, yeah, (laughs) but I do have beliefs about it. And I believe that it's going to be an absolutely stunningly beautiful place. I think that you will feel absolutely no pain, no physical pain, no emotional pain, no sadness. You will not miss Dad and I. You will not have that sadness of missing us. And God will be there and it will be the most fabulous place you could ever go. And I also told her, by the way, there's nobody I would hand you over to other than God. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Wow. And so we talked about that for a long time. And I realized as I was talking to her about it, that I always believed in God. And I realized that everything I told her, I firmly believed. And I realized that my faith was really strong. And it was, of course, she needed to hear it. But I think I needed to hear it at the same time. And so I think for both of us, our faith was validated in that conversation. And then we had a conversation before she, shortly before she died. And she was having a really tough day emotionally. And she had her dad make her a cave. And so she had an oxygen line above the bed and he hung a sheet over it to make a tent. And then he had a door that she could open or shut. And she had him take it down at the end of the day. And she said to me, Mom, I need you guys to make an important decision for me. I said, you know, anything if you want us to. We'll make decisions, more decisions about your meds or we're here. And she said, no, Mom, the big one. And I remember feeling, oh, (laughs) here we go. And then I realized my mother had come over from the other side of the room and was sitting behind me, and she started rubbing my back. And Heather said, "Whether or not I need you to help me decide whether or not to keep hanging on or to let go."
0: Wow!
1: So she was asking me permission to leave. Permission, yeah. And I knew that I knew what that was, and I said, "And we're both crying, of course." And I said, Heather. I need you to put me and dad, grandma and grandpa, everybody you love to the side. And I want you to think about what it is that you want and need to do right now, because it's just about you. And she sat there for a while. And sometimes kids get this look on their face like you're not going to what I'm going to tell you. Yeah, (laughs) she had that look on her face. And she said, I need to go. Hmm. And I said, I know you do. I know you can't stay. And this is no life for you. Having to be in a hospital bed 24 hours a day, having to get blood every day, having to get platelets every day, just so that you stay alive. This isn't any life. And I want you whole. And I want you at peace. And if that means you need to go to heaven, then that's okay. And I said, I'm not going to tell you goodbye because I will see you again and you can go whenever you're ready. And she said, okay, thank you. And uh, she had another conversation similar to that with her dad a few days later. So it is really important. I think sometimes for people to ask permission to go Mm -hmm. to their loved ones, maybe particularly kids, I'm not sure, but there is that point. And when I tell you that Heather asked me this, and I said this. The reason it was so easy for me to talk with her about these very intimate, very difficult conversations is that really God was just speaking through me. That's right. (laughs) It had to be. Yeah. I I had no trouble speaking. I didn't stumble. I knew exactly what I was going to say. And I can even remember in that particular conversation where she asked permission to go, I can even remember thinking, oh, God, you're just speaking through me. You're just helping me here. And she did say again, what's going to happen to even and dad? And I said, things are going to reverse. You're going to be in heaven and you're going to be with God and Jesus. And you guys are going to take care of me and dad.
0: That's right.
1: We've been taking care of you. And now it's just going to shift. And I believe that. And that did happen. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Jeffrey, there's so much there. So one thing that I want to go back to was that, first of all, I want to applaud you for the way that you handled that situation. I know for sure. When you started talking about it, I said, yep, God was definitely with her and with all of them. He was directing that conversation. Yeah. But you mentioned that Heather made the decision. Yes. At 11 years old, not only to stop treatment, but she asked for permission. I want to talk first about the stopping treatment. And I want to applaud you for not trying to force something on Heather that she didn't want. Because selfishly, and a lot of times unknowingly, that's what loved ones do. Hey, just try this other thing. Just do this other thing. But they don't consider what the person who is going through this, what they're failing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I thank you. Thank you so much for saying that there were some people that in our atmosphere, not real close people, but there were some people that were critical of that, Um, you know, that she was just a child. How can you let her make decisions? And Heather being who Heather was, was fully capable. And uh, I knew it and my husband knew it and the doctors knew it as well. So that was very clear for us. Fortunately, And I, myself and my needs or what have you, really were secondary. It was all about that beautiful girl in the bed. And I was her advocate. Mm -hmm. And my ex-husband was her advocate. And that was our job. It was really the job of a lifetime. When I think about it, it was the most precious, most important job I'll ever have. And it really was all about her and to try and keep her here was making her in some ways suffer. She was not in pain. They made sure of that. But there's emotional suffering. And there's lying in a bed 24-7, really having no life, just being ill. At 11. Yeah, yeah. So she deserved a lot more than that. She deserved to be free and whole. And I knew the only place that she was going to get that was heaven. She wasn't going to get it on earth. And at one point I said, Heather, I would do anything on God's green earth to turn this around. And she said, mom, it's not going to. And I said, I know.
0: Jeffrey, listening to you share your story and Heather's story, it's very apparent that God was with you all, but within you also.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: Because. To be able to have those vivid and honest and raw conversations like that, I'm sure that meant the world to Heather and yes. also to you, obviously. Yeah. Just to be able to talk about it freely and not carry that pain of I have to hold this and I have to hold this back. Cause that's yes. another, it's another heavy
1: weight. Yes. Yes. Her chaplain that she had, his name was Drew. We just loved him. And he told me a story of working in a different children's hospital. And that he was walking down the hall and a little four-year-old boy with cancer came up to him and pulled on his trousers. And Drew looked down and little boy said, he was crying and he said, I have, I'm dying and I'm not supposed to talk about it. Mm. And Drew said, that's okay if mom and dad can't talk about it. You can talk to me about it anytime you want. There's and I'm not blaming mom and dad. I never would. People can do what people can do. And these are horrific circumstances. So no judgment there. No. And he could be some that child could talk to about that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Jeffrey, you mentioned that Heather was popular. She had a lot of friends. Did you talk with her friends' parents or did you talk with the children, her friends? What did that look like?
1: Oh gosh. I was friends with all of the moms. Some I saw more frequently than others. And a couple of times I had to kind of lower the boom, is what's coming to my mind. The sense Mm -hmm. that Heather came home from a friend's house and uh, they had watched. Unbelievably, they had watched the film Pretty Woman. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I think she was 10. And I sat her down and I said, okay, I would not have okayed that. So now that you've seen it, what I want you to tell me what you think it's about and what are your questions. So we went through that. And then I had to call the mom and say, that was really not okay. And Mm -hmm. I know Heather told you it was. But from now on, I want you to go through me about whatever movies are going to be shown. Yeah. And she was she handled it beautifully. Yeah. And I remember Heather saying, I'll bet all you moms talk about us all the time. (laughs) And I said, you better believe we do. And I said, if any of you gets in trouble, we're going to band together and we're going to talk about it and we're going to do what we need to do. And she would just laugh. But yeah, I think she liked it. How
0: did her friends respond?
1: When she got sick?
0: Yes, when they knew that she was going to pass. And what did that conversation look like for the parents out there who may have to share this information about their child or children? Just kind of what did that look like?
1: Mm, That's a great question. Actually, that was handled by a social worker. Okay. On the oncology unit. And they offered, when we had decided to stop treatment, mm-hmm. they offered to go to Heather's school to explain cancer and what it is and how it works. What they were going to say, what they said was that Heather was taking a break from treatment, that she had decided to take a break. And so I went and the social worker went. So we went together together. And the social social worker did a beautiful job of explaining everything. And I was there to answer any questions. And I'll never forget one boy. I knew Heather thought that this boy was really funny. She really enjoyed him. And he turned to me and he said, is Heather involved in these decisions about her life? And Uh I said, yes, yes she absolutely is. In fact, her call is the final call.
0: That's right.
1: And he just said, good. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'll never forget that. That's
0: amazing. You had that support from the social worker at the oncology unit. That's very important and very helpful too, because you're not always sure. People that are a little further out in your network and in your forms of relationships, you may not be sure how they're going to take it or how you should give it to them, really. And so having a trained professional, I'm sure that made it a lot easier.
1: It did. And I also had invited any of her friends' parents to come that day if they wanted to. And Mm -hmm. several did. Nice. So they all got it at the same time. Nice. Yeah.
0: Jeffrey, on a more personal note, you mentioned that you are divorced. Yes. And I'm asking this question because this is something that happens unfortunately frequently. The loss of a child can cause friction between spouses, it can tear families apart. Yes. Was your divorce a result of the death of your daughter?
1: That's a fabulous question. And I'll answer it in two parts. The first part is, Now, this is, mind you, 21 years ago, but I asked the social work group. So now that Heather died, am I going to need to prepare for a divorce? Was this the natural thing that comes next? And what they told me was that there is misinformation out there about parents divorcing whenever a child dies, that it's a very high rate. And they Mm -hmm. said it's actually not. They said the two circumstances that usually end in divorce is if a one parent was driving when the child died and the other parent can never forgive them or the parent that was driving can never forgive themselves so they actually said it's really not okay not that common i would say that in our situation parenthood was the best part of our marriage Heather and parenthood was the absolute best part of our marriage. Hmm. So we tended to hang out in the family space a lot because that's where it all worked really well. Glenn and I could finish each other's sentences about Heather. We were always in total agreement about her. There was never any rough seas there. Our connection, Glenn's and my connection, was not that great.
0: Prior so
1: to. yeah, so okay. our personal relationship wasn't that great. We put it all into... Being a family and Heather, and she was honestly really the glue that kept us going as long as we did. After she died, we sat down and had a conversation. And I remember saying, you know what, let's put the snake on the table. We're not parents anymore. And we did really well as parents. Yeah, (laughs) love being parents. And that's gone. Jeffrey, I just
0: want to emphasize this. You love being parents together.
1: Yes, we did. Mm. We did of Heather.
0: (laughs) Yes, that's right. (laughs)
1: Of Heather specifically. And my husband said, you're right. And he said, I don't know that there's enough between the two of us to keep going. And I said, I don't either. And he said, there were times I would have left the marriage if it hadn't been for Heather. And I said, me too. So he said, what are we going to do now? And I've got a psychology background. So I do know some things that were helpful. And one was you never make after a situation like this, you never make a huge decision until some time's gone by. And I said, what I suggest is that we don't make any big decisions for a calendar year. Mm-hmm. That even if one or both of us wants to leave the marriage, we don't do it for a calendar year. That we take care of one another for this first year. And that's what we agreed upon. And we ended up divorcing four years after she died.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that very personal story and information. I just think it's important to get it out there and talk about those things. Yes. Because so many people go through these situations in private and they're struggling. So even if they don't have someone that they can trust to talk to about these things, maybe just hearing your story can give them some encouragement and a bit of guidance on just how to approach it.
1: I hope so. I hope so.
0: Thank you. The other thing that I got from that, Jeffrey, is that you guys were actually friends. So (laughs) yeah, that made it easier too, I bet.
1: Yes, we always were good friends. I think the romantic part just wasn't in the cards for us. But I really think all these years later that our purpose was to bring Heather into the world and then to walk her to the pearly gates. And We did that. I think we did that really well. So we fulfilled the purpose of our union. I think we had a very amicable divorce. We used one attorney and we talk every mother's day, father's day, Heather's mm-hmm. birthday and her death day. And I have remarried and he has since remarried and everyone's doing great. So I mm-hmm. feel very fortunate, very fortunate.
0: That's beautiful. The other thing I want to ask you, Jeffrey, is um, many people don't know what to expect. And that's after, you know, you've lost your child, you've had the funeral, you've talked with people, some time has passed, say maybe a few months. What does that next phase look like?
1: In the beginning, at least for me, there was a lot of feeling of unreality. You feel like you're in a dream. Like things are just dreamlike. And I think that's there to protect you in a sense, because it's too heavy to take in all at one time. So there's a bit of numbness, a bit of dreamlike feeling going on. I was told by someone that about four weeks after the funeral, it will get worse. Mm. And they were right. About a month after the funeral, when you think about it logically, it just makes perfect sense. And people have been hovering around in the immediate time after the death. And then there's the funeral. And then everyone else goes back to their lives. And you can't. Your life has been turned upside down. So they all naturally go back to their own rhythms. And I don't blame them for that. It makes perfect sense. But on my end, it could feel lonely because they disappeared. They didn't do anything wrong. You can understand how the feel it feels. Oh gosh, everybody's gone back and I have nowhere to go back to. So that's a difficult time when you're feeling like the world's continuing on and you don't have a world to continue on in. Yeah. So that's very hard. And I think I remember a lot of physical symptoms. I remember my body kind of feeling like lead, just feeling so, so heavy an incredible feeling of exhaustion just all the time. Jumpy, feeling jumpy. Yeah. There are, are a lot of weird sensations and weird things going on at that time. It can make you feel kind of crazy, but you're not. It's the natural progression of things. And also men and women, and I've done some reading about this, men and women tend to grieve differently. And so here you are as a couple, and I wanted to really go into my grief head first. I didn't, having a psych background, I knew that there was no escape, that you can run but you cannot hide. And if you run, the grief is right behind you, just waiting for you to trip and fall or get weak or get tired or whatever it may be. I wanted to pay now. (laughs) I didn't want to wait. (laughs) And I felt like paying later would be a higher price. So I was all about going into Heather's room and sobbing and really getting it out. My husband at the time, I think it scared him the amount of grief that I was showing frightened him and he would come in and try and get me to come out and watch a movie. That would really make me angry. And finally, one day I regret this, but finally one day I turned on him and I said, listen, I am working here. I am working really hard and I need to do this and I need to get this all out. And there is a beginning and a middle and an end to this. And when I pull my t-shirt off and blow my nose in it, you'll know that this episode is over. And then we can talk about maybe watching a movie or what have you. I really wish I hadn't lost my temper and done that, but I just hit a wall.
0: Yeah. You're human.
1: Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. right. We're all human and we're all in a really awful situation. So eventually I was talking about it. He was talking about in the beginning because you just can't help it. And crying openly and those things. And eventually he started to recede within himself. And I was still processing and talking to friends and loved ones and trying to just make sense of the whole thing.
0: Jeffrey, it sounds like what you're describing is the work of grief.
1: Oh, yes.
0: (laughs) And how did that help you? First, tell us more about what the work of grief is. I'm pretty sure it's going to look different for everyone. Yes. But how did that help you?
1: Oh, boy. That's such an important area. I'm really glad you asked that. When I've done grief coaching with people, they'll always ask me, will this get better? And I always say, it can get better, but I have a caveat. You have to do the work, for it to get it. better. Yeah. yeah, you can't just sit and wait for things to get better. You really do need to be an, an active participant in it, and of course, that takes into account where you are in your readiness. And everybody's different in that regard, but. There there are two terms that you hear a lot. You hear mourning, Mm M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, and you hear grieving. And those are not the same. Those are different terms. So grieving is what's going on inside of you. Your sadness, your despair, your anguish that's inside. Mourning is taking that grief from inside of you and bringing it outside of you. So mourning is talking about it. Mourning is writing about it in a journal. And I think the important thing here is don't leave it in the grieving stage. Somehow you need to get it out of, I'll say, out of your body. And if you're not a talker, you're not a processor, that's okay. It's not good or bad. But you might want to think about getting a journal and writing your thoughts and feelings down in the journal so that you can capture them. And sometimes when you've got it down on paper, you can take a little break from it because you know you don't have to hold on to it because it's precious and you're afraid you might lose it. So you don't have to keep hanging on thinking about it. You can release it on paper and you know that you can come back anytime and read that again and it's there forever.
0: Jeffrey, I'm sorry. I just wanted to jump in there and add something. It just came to mind. Earlier, you mentioned the physical symptoms that you experience with grieving. Hearing you talk about how important it is to get that out, that to me is saying not only get it out of your mind or your heart, your spirit, also out of your body.
1: Yes. Yes. I completely agree with that statement. Yeah. You're dead on that. And the information that Heather died right after she died was rational knowledge. I knew in my head that Heather died. My heart and soul were a completely different issue. And it takes a while for the rational knowledge that this important person has died to travel from your head down into your heart and soul to where there is complete understanding and acceptance of that. That does not happen overnight and it couldn't, it's too heavy. It has to take its time. Also, what happens, the more you might write about it or the more you might talk about it with trusted people, it's helping you make it real. (laughs) It's helping you to understand in all parts of yourself that this is in fact real because it can feel so unreal. And it's a
0: lot to carry.
1: Yes. That's the other reason why it's
0: so important to get it out. That is a heavy load.
1: Yes. Yes. It's an extremely heavy load and not everyone in your life is going to be able to hear it is going to be able to listen to it. And that's okay. We really can't judge people who are not able to hear it. It's not good or bad. It's just that they can't do it. There are others in your life who will be able to sit and hear your anger, your despair, your agony, who can sit with you and who can handle wherever you are. And of course, a piece of paper can always handle it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And the other thing about that is that piece of paper, you can get rid of it, too, if you need to.
1: Yes, you can.
0: You can write it down. That could be another form of release. Okay, I got it out on paper. Now I'm all done with this. Yep. And
1: I'm going to (laughs) burn (laughs) it.
0: Exactly.
1: Yeah, Yeah. that's right. It's yours. It's yours to do whatever you wish to do with it.
0: Yes. That's yeah. Right. The more you talk about it, it's like a gift that you give to yourself.
1: Yes. Oh my gosh! What a great way to put that. I'm going to repeat that. I'm going <laughs> to. I'm going to give you credit, yeah. but I'm going to repeat that. You that can. is wonderful.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh! While you're talking, I'm just thinking. That, yeah. You know what? You're preparing a gift for yourself. Oh, yeah.
1: Wow. Yes. And boy, do you need. Boy, do you need to be kind to yourself. And this has occurred in your life. You need tender, loving care from others, but especially from yourself. Mm -hmm. And that can be hard for people, depending on whether they've ever done that before, you know, how they look at that issue of self care. Yeah, But I love your idea of it's giving you a gift. Yeah, it's giving you an outlet to put some of that weight down because you're right. It's astronomical to carry that around. And it allows you to do some work and then rest. It allows you some rest periods, which you certainly need. Yeah, I love that.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Ah, Thank you. It just became so vivid in my mind as you were talking. Is That's a gift.
1: Yeah,
0: Yeah, that is a gift. And that's a gift you give to yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Jeffrey, what do you want readers to gain from your book, Heather's Journey, A Mother's Accidental Guide Through Loss to Hope?
1: I hope before I wrote this book, I looked for books for myself. And I found a lot of books, but they were the story, mm-hmm. what happened from start to finish, which is great. And that has tremendous value all by itself. But I also wanted to know, what did you do? Yes. What, how did you walk forward? How did you make sense of this? How did, what did you do? And I wasn't really finding that. So I thought, that's what I want to write about. So, the first chapter is the story. So, it's from A to Z. But then I go into other things because those are the things that I wanted to read about myself. So, how grief showed itself to me and what things can get you off track and just various things like that, what helped me along the way. And as you've mentioned, everybody's grief journey is unique, is unique to them and who they are and what tools they have and all of those types of things. No two people are going to do it exactly the same. But my hope is that a person who has gone through some sort of really difficult loss can read it and something will speak to them or they'll get an idea from something that I might've tried or something I did might help them.
0: Okay, thank you, Jeffrey. So, my understanding is the book, of course, is about Heather's story, her journey, but then also you are sharing some tips and tools that you use to help you. Yes. Great. Now, I want to talk about the holidays, Jeffrey. Oh, yes. They're right around the corner. And (laughs) And the holidays can be a tough time for parents who have lost children or anyone really, who has lost someone they love. Yes. What has helped you get through the holiday season?
1: You know, that's a great question. And the holidays for me have really varied. And I think that I decided early on that the only rule I was going to have for myself was to do what felt right. Now, the first Christmas... I insisted on having all the decorations up, everything the same, doing what we always did. I really wanted to do that. In subsequent Christmases, I didn't always do that. I really kind of tried to listen to myself, listen to my heart and soul. What do you need this mm-hmm. time around? What do you need? And it can hard because you might be bucking family traditions. Yeah, You might be not wanting to do what the family always does. Personally, I think that you deserve to have carte blanche in terms Mm -hmm. of what you need to do for yourself. I know it can be hard for other people sometimes to understand what you're doing because they've not been through it and there's no way for them to understand. So we just have to let that be. But I do think it's important to tune in to you, yourself, and, you, and your spouse if or other people concerned with the issue so that you can make the best decision for you at the time. I think the third or second or third haul, we had, my husband and I had decided to divorce. And so he was going to his family and I was going to mine. And I went and we did our stuff. And I started having this really strong feeling that I wanted to go home. Mm. And I knew that my husband would be staying overnight with his family. So I knew I would be alone. And I really wanted that. Yeah. I really wanted to be alone with the dog and just be alone. And so I went to my sister-in-law and I explained to her and I said, I know this may sound weird, but I just really want to go home and be with the dogs And she said, okay, I need to ask you a question. Are you feeling like harming yourself in any way?
0: Great question.
1: Yeah. And she was a psych nurse. (laughs) And I said, no, thank you for asking. But no, I am not thinking of harming myself. I really need peace and quiet. And I'm overwhelmed with everything. And I told my parents they had a little bit of a hard time with it, but I said, this is really what I need. And I left and I went home and I got in my house and my dogs were there and I got in bed and I turned on my reading light and I picked up my book and I just thought, oh my goodness, I am alone in my house Christmas Eve night and I am okay. I'm not fabulous, (laughs) but I'm not dying of agony. I am okay. I really felt like it was a huge thing that I was able to feel just okay. I read my book and I went to sleep and yeah, that's just what I needed.
0: Being an empath and an introvert myself, I can totally understand why you really wanted that peace that space that quiet for yourself because to me that is a healing atmosphere
1: you're right that is where you
0: can just sit with yourself if you have thoughts great if you don't but just be that is very true yeah
1: and you don't have to be you don't have to have a smile on your face for everyone else you don't have to act more cheery than you might feel you're free to be who you really are in that time period. Yeah, you're right. I hadn't thought about that in terms of healing, but yeah, yeah, Yeah. it was very healing for me to just be alone that night.
0: Jeffrey, you have shared so much wonderful information with us in this first episode and segment. I just want to thank you so much, Jeffrey, for being so open and honest with us. I do not have a doubt that the audience will definitely gain a lot from what you have shared. I look forward to talking with you more in part two. It has been a pleasure.
1: Talea, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure.
0: Wonderful. I would like to give a shout out to the listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please share, follow, or subscribe so that you can easily find my podcast and listen again. Be sure to tune in next week for part two of this very amazing, very insightful episode and talk with Jeffrey Franks. That is it for this Wednesday. Until next time, let's keep navigating cancer together. Take care. This episode of the Navigating Cancer Together podcast was brought to you by OnTheOtherside.life, a cancer navigation enterprise that helps you navigate your cancer journey by providing emotional support and guidance along your cancer journey so that you can focus on healing. If you are looking for expert assistance or guidance on your cancer journey, visit OnTheOtherside.life and schedule your free 30-minute meet-and-greet today. Thanks for listening to this episode of Navigating Cancer Together. I hope you enjoyed it. Please be sure to subscribe, and if you enjoyed the show, please share or tell your friends and family about it. For notes from the show and previous episodes, visit ontheotherside.life and check out the podcast section. I would love it if you joined us for the next episode. Talk to you soon.